one half of the Booze and Boobs podcast, and this is my other half. Hi, I'm Katrina. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you love it. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Booze and Boobs podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Katrina. And we are starting our Pride Month series. It is June 2022. And what is our first movie, Katrina? We are doing Scream. Scream. Not everybody necessarily would consider this like an LGBTQ plus movie, right? I would say Except maybe- I didn't until we were like trying to... You know how you try to make things fit? And we're like, how can we make this fit? Because we wanted to do this. And we're like, well, Pride Month's coming up. Let's just make it work. Well, but I think, well, because we had started with wanting to do a Pride Month series. Katrina and I are both gay. So we're like, obviously, we have to, to say something about it. But then when you had mentioned that we were still going to do the scream, I was like, Homo-repressed mama's boy, which makes total sense for Scream, (laughs) which I consider to be one of my favorite horror movies, to be the first introduction into our Pride Month series. I'm really excited because I had never seen this before. I thought I had seen it. Like, I knew about it. Um, And then so we watched it together for the first time with me not really having any idea of what to expect. Um, And then... We talked about it a little bit, and I had to watch it a second time just Mm -hmm. to kind of wrap my head around the whole thing. Because when you're watching it the first time, it's a little bit, like, you miss a lot of the small things. Well, yeah, and and spoilers up ahead. The whole episode's going to be a spoiler. So if you have not seen Scream from 1996, directed by Wes Craven and, and written by Kevin Williamson, get out now. But it was so fun for me to watch you watch the movie and and we watched it together both times and yes the first time when you were watching it obviously you were just trying to follow the story and kind of follow along the murder mystery but the second time when you knew what was going on you were like oh I get it like the whole time which was (laughs) really enjoyable for me yeah I mean I the first time watching it through I was like bad vibes bad vibes I don't like this guy I don't like this guy. and Yeah, you really, you clocked Billy right away. But I was so confused and conflicted because I was like, oh, the jail thing. And I was like, I was like, it's got to be just one. I didn't even think about the, you know, two. And I was like, son of a biscuit. (laughs) Yeah. And and when I watched it, so I watched this movie for the first time when I was 13. So I was still, you know, behind, way behind when the movie actually came out. But, you know, I wasn't almost 30 years old when I saw this movie. Um, <laughs> but when I watched it the first time, I really, I couldn't tell. I was, I was scared of it. Like, I, all of the tense moments, I was frightened. But then I was like, wait a minute, is this a funny movie that is scary? Or is it a scary movie that's funny? I can't tell really what's going on because, I mean, I had a little lizard brain. And then I was like, oh, it's a satire. I get it. But that's what to me makes it so beautiful is, you know, they're, they're these kids who are living in a world that's just like our world where we understand all of these other references and things that got pulled 
into their world that they can apply their situation to. And we really hadn't seen that. And cinema hadn't seen it really at the time too, using all of the meta references. So I think that's one reason why it, you know, it's almost 30 years later and it's still working. Yeah. And it's still relevant. I mean, the, was it like Scream 5 or whatever just came out? Yeah. So obviously it's still working. Yeah. And, and Katrina has not seen Scream 2 through 5. I've seen all of them. Uh, I think Scream 1 is, you know, the best one out of all of them. But um, they're all so unique in their own ways. But I can't spoil that for you. So we just have to watch them. And then maybe we'll do a Scream series in the future. Uh, a fun little game for you guys to play while we're talking. Uh, we counted... 20 meta references either references to named movies or just basic horror tropes or things like that that we kind of clocked when we were watching scream so we want to hear from you guys did you catch the same ones were there ones that we missed um so let us know because we've got 20 oh you want thingamabobs i've got 20 (laughs) you want meta references scream's got 20 Oh, I'm going to have fun with that one. So Scream starts with Drew Barrymore, and she is our star for the beginning of the movie, really. Uh, She picks up a phone, her landline phone that doesn't have a caller ID because this is 1996, thinks it's a wrong caller, says, no problem, have a good night. She hangs up the phone. She starts going back about her business. But then the phone rings again, and it's the same guy. And she's like, why do you keep calling? And he's like, oh, well, like, I'm lonely. I want to talk to somebody. And she's like, they have 900 numbers for that, which is like, isn't that like the sex hotline or like phone sex that you can do? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Or like a dating service. I don't know. We have uh, Bumble now, so I don't even have to talk to anybody if I don't want to. (laughs) Preferably nobody. Exactly. So... Um, the two end up having a conversation. Casey's being a little bit flirty, talking to somebody on the phone. He asks if she has a boyfriend. She kind of ignores that and talks around it. They talk about what their favorite horror movies are because Casey says that she's just getting ready to watch a scary movie. She says Halloween is her favorite while she's playing with a knife from the butcher block. And then... In a little funny note, also another meta reference, uh, the caller on the phone says that his favorite scary movie is Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger. And guess who directed Nightmare on Elm Street? Wes Craven. Guess who directed Scream? Wes Craven. So it's a little toot of his own horn, but it is a very good movie. We should do it in the future for sure. Definitely. Yeah. But then the conversation keeps going and then Casey's like, well, why do you want to know this and the caller says, I want to know who I'm looking at. Belande, which is horrifying. A hundred percent. Like, I'm shutting all the blinds. I'm hiding under my table and <laughs> never giving out. Well, and she does that too. She starts locking all of her doors. She's running around making sure that everything's fine. And their first floor has a ton of like, I can't tell if they're just big windows or if there are several patio sliding doors. There's a bunch of ways to see in. So at least she's trying to barricade yeah. herself. Yeah. And I think that when we watched the movie, something we talked about was the people in this movie 
they know horror movies, they've seen horror movies, so they have the general idea of what they should be doing, and for the most part, they're trying to do that. So, it's not one of those horror tropes of, ugh, the victims are so dumb, they're doing the wrong things, like, Mm -hmm. really they're not, it's just that the killers are one step ahead, because they have also seen horror movies, and they know their next step. Most Yeah, that's a super great point. Yeah, so then... We get to, she's obviously freaked out, keeps hanging up on him. He calls back and threatens her and is like, if you hang up on me again, it will get you like a fish. Which, obviously, she's like, well, shit, now I can't hang up because he knows I'm blonde, he's here. And then he tests her to, like, a little game. Which, this is not the time that you want to be playing a game. Well, it's not the time that she wants to be playing a game, but... He's starting to go off. He's going crazy. And then she is having a little breakdown and says that her boyfriend's on the way. And he's like, oh, I thought you didn't have a boyfriend. And then this is one of my favorite lines in the movie. She's like, (laughs) I do have a boyfriend. He's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you. Which is (laughs) amazing. I love it. Use what you got. But little does she know, uh, her boyfriend (laughs) is a little incapacitated. Because they tell her to turn on the patio lights and her boyfriend is bloodied up tied to a chair in front of her pool. And Terrifying. So she tries to go outside. He says, don't do that. So, I mean, he can still see her. So she stays inside mm-hmm. and has to now play his game. The test is, oh, who's the killer in Halloween? Obviously, she knows that it's her favorite movie. She gets it right. So he's like, okay, here's the real test. You know, who's the killer in Friday the 13th. And if you haven't seen it, this is a spoiler. Skip like 30 seconds. Maybe less. And <laughs> she goes, it's Jason. I've seen that movie 20 times. It's Jason. And he goes, wrong. 20 goddamn his- times. Oh, yeah. And he's like, wrong. <laughs> it was his mother. He didn't come to the sequel. Yeah, uh, exactly. I still haven't seen the sequel. I just saw Jason the first time doing this. Yeah, well, but you have seen Friday the 13th. We did watch that, so mm-hmm. then that wasn't a spoiler for you, at least. It's just a spoiler <laughs> right. to everybody else who hasn't seen it. <laughs> so she gets it wrong, and then she hears something outside, and then Steve, her boyfriend, was just gutted outside. Yeah, it's disgusting. This dude, they show you everything. In my notes, I was like, this dude works fast. Because originally, I did not realize... What we know is from the very end. I was like, this dude is like booking it, making cuts, running to this side. So yeah, he's after that, the killer throws a chair through the patio doors. So she, he's in the house. So she grabs a knife and leaves the house. Which is so smart. Yeah. Because when you think about it, like your house is supposed to be like where you feel safe, where, you know, you know the house, but you don't know if the killer knows your house because people stalk things. You don't know if they've been in your house before because you don't know who it is. And so she leaves. He breaks through a window and she like punches him in the face. Love that. Yeah, she is. And she's still holding the phone. If you're if I'm going to get murdered, they're going to feel it like they're going to have to work to murder me. (laughs) And that's what she did. Like she made them work for it. Yeah, because Casey sees her parents that are driving Mm -hmm. up either like the street or a very, very long driveway. And she's trying to run around the house to where she can get to them. But then the killer ends up tackling her and then stabs her through the heart. So her lungs are also capacitated because when she gets away from that, she tries to scream. But nothing's coming out. 
Yeah, so she's still got the phone in her hand that she never hung up. And her parents come into the house. They see it's a wreck. There's smoke from her popcorn that she left on the burner. And the mom goes in. She puts the popcorn on the water. And they're screaming for Casey. They're trying to call the police. And then they realize uh, somebody's on the line. Because back in 1996, if someone's on the line, you pick up another line, you're going to hear their conversation. Mm -hmm. Stalkers. People do that. You, you got to listen for the breathing. That's the trick. Um, <laughs> they literally hear their daughter dying. The dad tells the mom to go to, what was the name of their neighbors? It was the Mackenzie's, which is another Halloween reference. So then the mother runs outside and sees Casey strung up on a tree, gutted like her boyfriend, Steve. And lets oh. out the most amazing scream. She did so great. Like, that was anguish. I was impressed. And that's the cold open to Scream. Yeah. They they pulled a psycho on us. Your biggest star is dead in the first couple of minutes. Just eh, gone. <laughs> yeah. So then we get to the next scene. Uh, we're in Sydney's room. And she is the real final girl, the main character. And she's also the ultimate final girl. She is one of my favorite characters in horror, period. We cut to her and... She's on her computer. Looks like she's like hacking the Pentagon. Honestly, I have no idea. She hears something and she screams and her boyfriend, Billy, pops up in the window. And then her dad rushes to try and open her door and the closet door jams it so he can't. And he's like, I heard screaming. Are you okay? What's going on? And she's like, no, you didn't. Like, she didn't even try to come up with a lie. Like, I saw a mouse, this, this, this. She just straight up gaslit her dad. (laughs) I love it. I love when you said that. (laughs) Like, stop gaslighting your dad. At least lie. Like, just flat out lie. Like the <laughs> yeah. rest of us. But that's, I mean, it was really nice, you know, that he physically went to go check on her. I know, well, I'm also very clumsy, so I could scream in my room and then my parents would just be like, eh, she broke something It's just again. Rachel. Rachel screams <laughs> all the time, so <laughs> she'll be fine. Well, that's because you scare me all the time. It's fun. Stop making it fun and I won't scare you. <laughs> I don't think I can. (laughs) I'm I'm too jumpy. So Billy hides because the dad pops in. And then the dad's like, oh, I'm leaving for the weekend. And Billy's in the room overhearing this. He's like, I'm going to be gone all weekend on a business trip, blah, blah, blah. Finally, the dad leaves. And then Billy pops up and he and Sydney are talking. We kind of get the essence. Obviously, they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but then they've kind of been together for a little bit. Billy pops off with one of the weirdest types of seduction lines in the world that he was watching The Exorcist and then started thinking about them as a couple. And at Sydney's face, she's like, what the fuck? She's like, "That? how is that going to work? That's a backhanded compliment if I ever saw one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then he says that it was the edited for TV version. So then that kind of brings up you know, we, we get to see them. They've been together for a couple of years now, and their physical intimacy has plateaued or has gone backwards. Like, we don't we don't know exactly what's what, but we can assume that they've never had sex. And we know that there is something that's going on, some kind of a trauma that has happened to Sydney where she's changed from it, but we don't know what that is. But Billy, we get the the feeling that he's kind of over it, and he 
doesn't, he, quote, doesn't want to push her, that kind of a thing, but he does want something. And the way it's presented, you know, it's kind of fair, and Sydney sees it that way. So they start making out, they get a little bit handsy, but then Sydney really just stops it and and Billy doesn't push her on it so kind of in that moment we're thinking like you know this is a healthy relationship like they're not doing perfect right now but they're at least communicating right off the bat I was like "Mm, I don't like him and Rachel's like what you don't like no bad vibes yeah you you immediately were like nope this doesn't work for me and i'm over here like i can't say anything i can't say anything i can't say anything because even re-watching it for me i still love billy no but i also like really really bad men so i think that this is a personal problem (laughs) yeah we have different trauma so we (laughs) love hate different things yeah that's exactly what it is but after that you know, Billy goes home and uh, it kind of cuts to the school the next day where there's a ton of reporters. Everybody's outside gossiping, talking about a lot of different stuff. And then um, Sydney is like, I don't know why all these people are here. And so Tatum kind of tells her, uh, I can't remember exactly what she said. So what did Tatum? Casey and Steve were filleted last night. Tatum's kind of just like, hey, this is what happened. And really kind of just cold about it doesn't really feel anything she says it's the worst crime in years even worse than and then like pauses and doesn't really finish her thought or sentence so we're kind of still left like why is everybody just tiptoeing around sydney because that's what yeah, it feels like there's like. nothing and then we see gail weathers and we figure out that she's a news reporter but the way that the camera kind of lingers on her like it's courtney cox So star power there, but the way it lingers on her and then the camera pans over to Sydney. Okay. That lets us know that they have some kind of a connection. We don't really know what it is, but then the girls just go in, they go in school and then Casey's seat in Sydney's English class. They used to sit right next to each other. So Sydney's just looking over at this empty seat. Obviously she's struggling with something. We don't really know what it is, but then she gets called into the office to speak with the police that are there just interviewing all of the students. She goes into the office to talk to the police and they kind of, they were talking about something. And as soon as she came in, they just like stopped because they're like, Oh, you know, and obviously someone's tiptoeing again and they were really gentle with her. They didn't ask her any like hard questions, you know, you know, what did you do last night? Who did you see? Blah, blah, blah. Simple stuff. We don't really get a whole lot more from that. They ask about her dad. Yeah, like, how's he doing? It's it's very gentle. Yeah. It's not, you know, where was your dad? How is he? Has he said anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it after her scene with the cops, it goes to the fountain scene where we see the group of five friends all together now for the first time. Yeah. The five friends are all sitting near the fountain. We assume it's lunchtime. And they're talking about the interviews that they've all had to do and what questions the cops asked them about where they were, what were they doing, at what time. And then they were talking about how it takes a man to gut Casey and Steve. And then Tatum popped off with, or a man's mentality, which is 
so hilarious because Tatum doesn't take no shit. She will just say anything. She's amazing. She's played by Rose McGowan, and I love her. Yeah, and it was funny because at that the first time watching it, I was like, man, Stu got really defensive with that. Like, he was like, ugh, take a man to do that. Okay, first of all, why is that, um, why are you proud of that? Like, why is that something you want to claim as a man? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. They ask, like, how do you even get somebody? Yeah, Sydney says that. Cause, and she's the only one that's kind of taking everything really seriously. Everybody else in the group's kind of making jokes. But Sydney and Billy, they're just keeping quiet, keeping to themselves. And she's like, so Sydney says, how do you gut someone? And Stu just looks at her, deadpan face, straight face, no emotion. He said, you take a knife and you slit him from groin to sternum. And everybody else is like, well, that's really dark. And Billy just looks at him and was like, it's called tact, you fuck rad, which we learn is a connection between them. But it just comes off like Billy's kind of standing up for Sydney because obviously this is affecting her in some way that we don't know about yet. So then they're talking about the rest of the day and Stu looks over at Billy and he's like, well, I didn't kill anybody. And then Billy just looks at him and gives him these like crazy eyes. Like, you know how when you're getting in trouble with your mom out in public and she just like looks at you and you just know that you're getting grounded or spanked or something else when you go home. That's exactly how Billy looks at Stu. And he's like, nobody said you did. And on a rewatch, you're like, oh, but you clocked it right away. Like you knew what was going on. It, I was like, there, there's some cahoots happening right now. I don't know what it is exactly, but I was going to find out. And find out you did. After all of that, Sydney goes home, and obviously her dad's away on business. She's talking to Tatum on the phone, and she's just walking through her house. She lays down on the couch. She's watching the news, and I, then Gail is giving a story and then mentions an exposition on... Sydney's mother being raped and murdered a year ago. And this is when we learn, oh, this is when everybody's tiptoeing around trying not to be coarse about it and not mention it. But I'm like, even if you're not saying it, you're saying it. There's no point in just tiptoeing around it. Just say it. And so yeah. she looks, we see a photo of her and her mom. Sydney falls asleep and then wakes up and the phone is ringing because Tatum is saying that she's on her way over she's going to stop at the video store grab something and then she's going to come by and pick sydney up from her house so they're like okay see you in a minute and then the phone rings again sydney thinks it's tatum at first but then it's the same voice that was calling casey before so this is a really great moment because from what we know if the killer calls you you die and this is our main girl. It's like, is this is she going to die and then we're going to have somebody else pop up? What's going on? But then Sydney doesn't care. She's completely unfazed. And then she thinks it's Randy because Randy likes to make all of the practical jokes. But then we know it's not Randy. And Randy is working at the video store. So Tatum should be with Randy soon because she should. But the caller says that it's not Randy. But then he says his famous line, what's your favorite scary movie? And Sydney, who still thinks everything is a joke, she's like, come on, you don't, you know I don't watch that shit, Randy. And he's like, well, why don't you like it? 
And she says, one of my favorite lines, it's always some big breasted girl who can't act running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. These are characters <laughs> who know everything. They've seen everything. They know the rules of what you have to do. The phone call starts to get a little bit more intense and she's starting to get annoyed is kind of what I sense. So he says, oh, I'm on your front porch. I'm here at your house. And so she tests him. She's She called his bluff and went out on the front porch and it's like, oh, if you're really here and you can see me, what am I doing? And she's like picking her nose, trying to be playful about it. Obviously, he gets annoyed because he says uh, she threatens to hang up. And he says, if you hang up, I'm going to kill you like your mother. And obviously, she's like, OK, cross the line right there. She runs back inside, locks the door. And right as she's like locking the door, trying to get back in, he pops out of like the hallway closet and attacks her. Mm-hmm. And they fall on the ground. She's kicking, punching, trying to get away. She finally gets up, but since she locked the door, she can't get out the door fast enough. And so now, like she just predicted, she can't run out the door and now she's running up the stairs and runs into her bedroom, barricades herself by opening the closet door like in the first scene of her bedroom with her dad getting stuck. Mm-hmm. So the killer's like trying to reach through. She's trying to call 911. She can't. She tries to call it on her phone. It's not working. The killer kind of like runs away. And then a couple seconds later, maybe Billy pops in through the window being like, oh, I heard screaming. Let me be a hero. And yeah. so she obviously like embraces him, is like so relieved that he's there. And then like, a mobile cell phone falls out of his pocket. Yeah, and she just gives him this look like, oh my gosh. She thinks that it was him and he's trying to kill her, but she had dialed 911 through her computer. So she runs away from Billy, runs down the stairs, opens up the door, and then just sees the ghost face mask right in front of the door. So she screams, (laughs) but then Dewey screams, and we figure out that he is the deputy of the town. And then we find out later that it's also Tatum's brother. So they have this really funny, well, funny to me and funny to Tatum, brother-sister dynamic where she's just like getting him all the time. She's just roasting him. Dewey's there. They arrest Billy. He's trying to tell everybody. He's screaming out that he didn't do it. And I wrote down like this part in one of my notes where he's like trying to talk to Sydney and he's like, Sydney, Sydney. When he gets put in the <laughs> cop car. But just the way that uh-huh. this it sounds is really funny to me. Like, Sydney! I'm like blank space <laughs> from the 1989 world tour when Taylor Swift is like with her little golf club and she's like, bang, bang, Sydney! Like, that's what it makes me think of every time I hear it now. Billy's been arrested. They think that he's the killer. He's taken away. Sydney's there waiting for Tatum to still show up. And then Gail shows up with her cameraman. And then she's like, Jesus, grab the camera. We have to get this. And his little funny note is when he's off screen, he's like, my name's not Jesus. Which I think it's so good because Gail, we just see that she is ruthless. She will do anything she can to get the story. And then the cameraman, and those are heavy cameras. It takes him a minute to get out of the van and have everything where he can try and shoot because he wants to get action of the scene with the cop car being taken away, Sydney being in the ambulance, getting checked out. And then when Kenny brings the camera over to Gail, she says so calmly, and I love her for this. She's like, Kenny, I realize you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say move your ass, that means 
or when I say get the camera, that means move your fat tub of lard ass now. <laughs> and it, this man, he just, he just takes it. He's like, okay. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I love it. But that's one of those things. Like when I was watching it the first time, I'm like, this is really scary. People are being like hunted and, and murdered. But then they're coming off with stuff like this. Like, this is hilarious. I'm having a great time. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of mixed feelings that you're like, you want to laugh, but you're like, oh, no, somebody just almost got murdered. And now they're trying to make, like, they're making jokes, obviously. So it's kind of funny that way. But then the next scene is that they're at the police station. Here, you know, obviously Billy's been taken into custody. The cops can't get a hold of Neil, which is Sydney's dad. He's away on business. They're checking flights. They're trying to call him. No dice. So mm-hmm. next, the cops are questioning Billy and his dad. Because he's a minor. So his dad's in there. Yeah. And then they keep talking about, well, run the phone records. We're going to get a lawyer. We're going to do this. Everyone's like, what are you doing with a cell phone anyway? Because, you know, back then, having a cell phone was not the norm. Right. Now it's like, why don't you have a cell phone? <laughs> yeah. If you don't have it, you're screwed. It's everything. Billy is saying, I didn't kill anybody. His father, Hank, says to check the phone records. And then the cop's like, thanks, Hank. We're on top of it. I've seen this movie once or twice, if anybody's wondering. <laughs> Which I'm like, how hard can it be to check phone records? But then again, I'm, re- I'm trying to remind myself, this is 1996. It was not as easily as accessible as it is now. And not mm-hmm. everybody knew how to do those, you know? You don't have a call log on your phone anymore. And these kids are obviously more tech savvy than the parents will ever be. That's just how it is generationally. Billy sees Sydney in like the intake police station is like telling him, trying to believe him, like, believe me, blah, blah. No, don't believe him. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Trust your gut. <laughs> and so obviously she goes home with Tatum because nobody else, she can't go home alone. So she goes home with Tatum and Dewey. And then Dewey um, takes them out in, like, through the back to kind of avoid the press. So Gail sees that Cindy is being taken out, like, the back door of the police station. So she grabs her cameraman, which kind of alerts all of the rest of the press to come over. But Gail's right next to Sydney. She's trying to get information about what just happened. But then Sydney brings up, you know, how's your book? We don't know what the book is. But then... Gail says, like, it's coming out next year. And she's like, oh, I'll look for it. And then Gail's like, I'll send you a copy. And Sid just gets this look on her face. Her eyes go black. She just punches Sydney in the face. And then Dewey, he's taking her away, like, trying punches to get her to the police car and get her out. Punches Gail. Yeah. Sydney punches Gail in the face. And it's beautiful. And then Dewey's like, where'd you learn to punch like that? Like, just off to the side. These little funny moments. And then we switch right into Tatum's house. Tatum, she's like, oh, it was beautiful. And then she's playing with a little stuffed animal. She's like, I'll send you a copy. Bam. And she punches her stuffed animal. And then she's like, bam, bitch went down. She looks at Sid. She's like, I'll send you a copy. She punches her stuffed animal. Bam. Sid, super bitch. Like, she's just hyping Cindy up. She loves it. She's like, God, that's great. Which is definitely me as a friend. I'm like, yes, let's you know go crazy. But then uh, Tatum's mom comes in and says that Sydney has a phone call. Which is weird because she's at a friend's house and somebody's calling her friend's house to get to her. Like, how many people know that she's at Tatum's? Well, but she asks if it's her dad calling. 
because they've been trying to get a hold of her dad. So if her dad knew that she was going to be over there, she would try there. That's what we did in the 90s. Yeah, but that's the only person I can think of that would should be calling Tate or calling Sydney at Tatum's house. Well, and Sydney thinks that it might be her dad. So she goes to answer the phone. And when she answers it, she realizes, uh, not my dad, because it's the voice of the killer again. And Mm -hmm. he tells her, you fingered the wrong guy again. And first of all, you fingered the wrong guy. Pretty gay. But, uh, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) obviously that's a quote of the times. Like, you know, you pointed out the wrong guy. And so now we're kind of getting the hint that um, the person she accused of murdering her mother maybe isn't the actual murderer. His name's Cotton. That's kind of what Gail Weathers' book is about, is just writing the facts. And Gail doesn't believe that Sydney picked the right guy. Yeah, so... Then we're at the school the next day. A little side note slash meta reference. Linda Blair plays one of the reporters who swarms Sydney when she gets to the school. And Linda Blair played Reagan in The Exorcist. So that's two Exorcist references that we have there. And literally, you know, the the girl from it. But Sydney goes right over to Gail. They're having a little spat. And Sydney wants to talk about something off camera. They end up talking about exactly what you're saying sydney is starting to wonder if when she testified that it was cotton weary who killed her mother and gail doesn't think so sydney might be a little bit unsure now because of everything that's going on because cotton's in jail and somebody else is trying Mm -hmm. to attack her and then using information from her mother's case which has to be the absolute worst feeling is you were so confident, you put somebody away, and now you have self-doubt. The guilt, ugh. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. So we get in to the school, they're all in the hallways, and then children, I swear. Um, <laughs> so these two guys think it's funny to dress up like Ghostface and run through the hallways, like, terrorizing people. Oh, and everyone thinks it's funny, but Sydney. Right, obviously, because she was almost murdered by someone in that... Sydney is basically the most mature one here, but I think it's probably because she has the most trauma. <laughs> That's just kind of how it works, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, the boys get sent to the principal's office, and the principal just immediately is like, you're expelled, it's not funny, like, good for him. Yeah, that's great. Like, a no-tolerance policy that actually works, like, good for him. Mm -hmm. So she bumps into Billy after being startled by the ghost faces in the school, and then she looks at him funny, and he kind of is like, you still think it's me, don't you? Obviously, the police don't think so. They let me out, blah, blah, blah. And then he makes the worst metaphor possible, (laughs) saying that, like, I understand you know, your mom dying because my mom up and left us. And Sydney's like, that's not the same at all. Your mom left. Mine was brutally murdered. And I think that's kind of where I was like, uh, maybe Billy isn't truly in reality right now (laughs) because that's not the same. Yeah. And then Sydney says one of my favorite quotes because they're arguing. She says, I'm sorry if my trauma is an inconvenience to your perfect existence. And then she just runs away, which I think is beautiful. But then Billy, in this really good moment in the movie, he's like looking around and he's like stupid. And he like hits himself like face palm 
which I think is so great. And and it, honestly, that's a great way to kind of throw us off the case. It's like, you know, he's making mistakes with his girlfriend. It's a really great like throw off to where you don't think that it is Billy. Yeah. So she runs off and she goes to the restroom and like, there's some girls in the stalls that are like gossiping and they come out. So she hears them. She goes into the stall and they come out and they're starting to like make theories of like, who do you think it is? And all of these things. So the girls are coming out of the bathroom stalls and then they're going to like wash their hands and check themselves out in the mirror. And they're kind of having a theory that what if Sydney is the one behind all of this? And another girl is like, are you crazy? What's going on? And then it's just like a regular looking girl. And then a girl dressed up like a cheerleader. Fun fact, the girl who played a cheerleader was Skeet Ulrich's girlfriend who plays Billy. So, you know, kind of just got her a little role in the movie. And this girl goes off on some unhinged tangent about the anniversary of Sydney's mother's murder is coming up. She's gone psycho. And then she realizes that teen suicide is out this year and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. (laughs) And her friend is like, you're fucking psycho. Where do you get this stuff? And she's like, Ricky Lake, like, and it's perfect because that's exactly how people talk now. They're so desensitized, just going off about all these random things that sometimes the stuff they're saying is truly macabre. After they leave, she comes out of the bathroom and she hears something in like one of the stalls. This is honestly like, we don't know who this is. So she looks under the stalls and she sees these black boots drop down and then over the boots drops like the black it's like a dress basically but it's the ghost face the like dress robe i guess if you want to make it more masculine this is pride month dresses are for everybody <laughs> clothes don't have a gender correct she sees it and she just books it out of the restroom like she should because no no thank you on a hundred different levels Well, yeah, and that's the thing, like, what you mentioned, like, we don't know who this is, and maybe somebody else does, so if you know, tell me, because, I mean, I've watched this movie for the last 20 years of my life. Sydney runs out when she sees, like, the ghost face, a ghost face is trying to attack her. It's already been established that other students are just randomly dressing up like ghost face just to scare people, and then when Sydney runs out of the bathroom, there's somebody else in the halls, maybe it's a teacher or something like that, and they see that she ran out of the bathroom, but we don't know who that is is so i don't know if it's billy or Stu or if it's one of the other students because there were two students pulled into the principal's office who got expelled so i don't know if that means they're both different ghost faces that dressed up or if they were all involved in one like i i just don't know for sure so if somebody else knows just tell me but tell me in a nice way i'm very sensitive outside of the school like after all of that um Gail Weathers runs into Dewey because the principal is basically sending everybody home because the town has put in a curfew. School is dismissed. Everybody's going home. And he obviously Dewey is doing his duty of, you know, making sure everybody's safe. And she start Gail Weathers starts flirting with Dewey. And I'm like, don't hurt my man Dewey here, woman. <laughs> yeah, you loved him. I love Dewey so much. So then... They start flirting, they're talking, and then it cuts to Stu talking to the girls about, um, he's throwing a party, do you guys want to come? And we go back to the school, and Hembry, the principal Hembry, uh, he hears something in the school, and then he looks out, and the janitor 
named Fred, looks like Freddy. Played by Wes Craven. He goes back into his office and he has like the, he turns around and like there's a mirror like in his closet or something. And he like jumps and I'm like, me too. Me too, sir. <laughs> I was like, he kept scaring himself. I'm like, it's a tense time. Obviously, like, if you forget there's a mirror there, you're going to be terrified. Well, yeah, because he keeps hearing these knocks that are coming around. He, I mean, somebody's messing with him. He's going around trying to figure out what's going on. So then he goes back into his office after scaring himself with the mirror, which is super funny. And then he just goes and shuts the door. He thinks everything's okay. <laughs> it's not okay. So, and then we see... Principal Hembry get murdered, stabbed in the stomach. He was a good man. He was a good man. Yeah, so Ghostface just pops out behind the door. Later, we will theorize why Principal Hembry, we think, got murdered. Because during this, we played a game of who we thought did what. And we'll go over that at the very end of like who we thought did what, scare, murder, all of that. So then it jumps to Sydney's house. Uh, Tatum is talking to Sydney and then she kind of, she kind of mentions about how like maybe your mom was sleeping around because that's the whole thing with Sydney is Sydney is hell bent on believing my mother was not a whore. She was not sleeping around. She was not cheating on my father, but nobody else believes that. Yeah. She thinks that her mom was raped by cotton weary and then was murdered. But Tatum brings up and honestly, she does it very tactfully She's like, you know, there are some rumors going around, so it it is possible. Sydney really doesn't want to hear it, but but Tatum is very gentle about it. Like, I believe that this is a really strong friendship between these two women. You know, Tatum is not tactful about a lot of the things that she says, but it shows that she can be. Yeah, and that's actually a very good point. She's pretty direct and vulgar with a bunch of different stuff, but talking to Sydney about Sydney's mom, she is being very gentle. So that's a really great point. So after they have their little talk, oh, and in the background of them talking, you can see a ghost face, like, walking in the woods, like, in the trees. I remember that part. He's listening. He's freaking everywhere, man. Dude's fast. So we go to the video store where Randy works and Stu jumps up and like knocks the video VHSs out of Randy's hands, which is something that I would probably do. I think it's something that you have done. I think you're probably right. Sometimes when I play um, softball uh, and one of the, like the first baseman girl is like walking out with her glove in her hand, I'll like run by and I'll hit the glove out of her hand and then like run really <laughs> fast because she will retaliate. And I know. <laughs> so, I mean, I've definitely done a lot of things like that. I think it's just being, it's like the younger, youngest child gene. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. So the movie store is obviously very busy because of the curfew. Everybody's trying to abide by everybody's going to watch movies. And then everybody's going to the horror section looking for horror movies. And I'm like, like you said, sensitized basically. Which, I mean, is exactly what people would do these days. Like, nothing has changed in that sense. But Randy knows all of the horror movies. He's watched... He's basically Rachel. Also knows all the horror movies and all the lines. Well, at least I'm not the murderer. Well, I haven't... I haven't killed anybody. Anyway. Nobody said you did. <laughs> 
Randy comments on Billy standing in the horror section being like, how can he do that? Like, doesn't he, like he's prime suspect number one and he's just standing in the horror section. Like nothing even happened. Yeah. And Stu, he's like, well, he didn't kill anybody and he got exonerated. Like the cops let him go. And then Randy, he says something that's really funny. He's like, well, but now that we kind of suspect him, do you think Sydney will go out with me? And Stu, he makes this, like, weird face, does his little funny laugh, and he's like, no, I don't. But (laughs) this is another, you know, Pride Month reference is Randy calls Stu Billy's little lap dog homos. I love that. Stu and Billy both have some issues. Um, So after that, Stu is trying to, like, suggest that, oh, Neil Prescott, Sydney's dad, could be the killer. They can't find him. No one's been able to get in contact with him. And he's just trying to, you know, pass the buck of like, we need make Billy not the number one suspect, basically. That's what they're trying yeah, exactly. to do. Yeah, exactly. But then Randy goes off, and I love this because he's already been shown to be able to like make those little references and like say stuff. And he says that. The father's a red herring, Billy's the killer, and then he turns around and Billy is, like, right in his face being like, well, how do we know you're not the killer? And then, I'm just going to talk about this part because I love it so much, but then Randy's like, you're absolutely right. If this were a horror movie, I'd be the prime suspect. And Stu, like, comes up behind him, so they're kind of making, like, a Randy sandwich between Billy and Stu. It's shot very close. They're all standing very close to each other, and Stu, like, leans in on his shoulder, and he's like, what would be your motive? And Randy, he gets this, like, good little look on his face, and he's like, it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. And Billy's like, oh, that's a good one. And then it's kind of just over, but Randy's still like, "Mm, I know it's Billy. I know it's Billy. Which, when we watch that, well, when I watch it now, I know that it's Billy, but when I was watching it the first time, I'm like, they're making a lot of points that it's Billy, so it can't be Billy. Right. And that's the thing is when I was watching it the first time, I was like, I really believe in my heart it's Billy. But I'm like, they make good points. Like, he, you know, the jail call, all of that. And I was like, ugh. Like, I can't. It was frustrating almost. I was like, come on. Then we kind of cut to, and it's the whole town, all of the small businesses, they're shutting their doors. They've got signs in their windows saying that they're closing because of the curfew. Everybody's, you know, abiding by the rules, which is really great because nobody abides by the rules in our time. Never. Everything is made up, including rules. So then we kind of cut to Dewey saying to Tatum and Sydney that he's got to go check in at the police station. They have to stay together, but they make this little comment, which is really great. And they're talking about Sydney makes a comment about how everything is so empty. It's like the town that dreaded sundown, which is another meta reference. And then they talk about who would make a movie about the whole situation. And then talking about who would play Sydney and Dewey's really sweet. He's like, I see you as a young Meg Ryan myself. And she's like, Oh, thanks. But with my luck, they'd cast Tori spelling, which is just a really funny, like nineties <laughs> reference to those actresses. And I think it's also funny because they're both blonde and Sydney isn't, but I just thought that it was right. funny. Like that's who the, who they picked. And then 
Dewey has to go check it at the police station. He tells the girls just to stay together. He knows they're going to the party, but that they're going to go go get some groceries for it. Tatum and Sydney are in the grocery store trying to get everything ready for the party. And they start talking about Billy again. And they mention about how Billy is like patient and like he's waiting and he's not being like pushy or anything like that. And part of me is like, that doesn't give you a gold star. Like, like it is nice, but I'm like, that's what really the bare minimum. Then we find out that the cops have Neil's phone records and it, according to that, Sydney's dad made the phone calls and it's about to be the anniversary of his wife, Maureen's death. Yeah. So the movie is really trying to hit it hard that they think that it's Neil. Who's the killer? So we go to Stu's house, which is fun fact. I looked at some like scream trivia or whatever. And it said that Mm -hmm. the scene of like Stu's house, like they said they made t-shirts of like, I survived scene number, blah, 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 because it took so long time to shoot this whole entire scene. I'd have to look it up again to get the exact amount. Yeah. I mean, we're there for the rest of the movie. Once we get there, we don't leave. And this is where it really starts to get, like, pieces start falling together. Gail Weathers and Kenny, her cameraman, are outside of Stu's house, which is just weird that she's, like, stalking a high schooler's house. Yeah, seriously. she's trying to get intel. She goes in with Dewey. She flirts with Dewey to get into the party. And he's like, obviously, I'm going to show off that I'm with Gail Weathers. And she puts in, like, a little hidden camera. Yeah, to spy on all of the teenagers while they're at the party. Yeah, again, creepy. So they're all sitting on the couch watching horror movies, and Stu looks over at Tatum and is like, hey, go get me, go get me another beer from the garage, will ya? And she looks at him and is just like, what am I, your beer wench? And I was like, good for her, that's funny, but then she goes and does it. Like, you gotta follow up and just not do that. See, that's very me. It's like, I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to complain about it the whole time. So then she goes, (laughs) exactly. She goes into the garage. She's grabbing, you know, the beer from the garage fridge. And then like, she can't get out of the door. Like she locked herself in the garage and then she goes to hit the garage door opener so she can just leave and go around. But then when she's walking up to the garage after she hit open, it starts closing again. And then we see that ghost face is in the garage with her. But she thinks it's Randy, too. So I think that that's also, like, a really big hint. Like, all of the kids who talk to, like, the killer on the phone or they see him, they're like, oh, it's Randy because Randy makes jokes. He knows all the movies. Like, it makes a lot of sense. And then Randy even says, I should be the suspect. So we kind of have, like, a a three options of the dad, the boyfriend, or, like, the outlier which I think is a really good option for who we could think that it's the killer. Like they've given us really good suspects, but then Tatum being her beautiful, sarcastic self. She's like, cut it, Casper. It's a wrap. Like she's trying to get back to the party. She doesn't want to deal with it. She doesn't have time for this. Like you're trying to scare me. I'm not playing. But then she's, she's playing back and she's like, well, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. And she only knows that this is serious when Ghostface draws out a knife and cuts her across the arm. And she's freaking out. She's like, what the fuck are you doing, Randy? 
But then she realizes she has to fight for her life. So she's throwing the beer bottle. She's taking Ghostface down too, which also gives us a really good insight. Like this is just a man. This isn't some supernatural being. This is somebody who can be hurt. So then she hits the garage door again. And then the garage door goes down. She's trying to climb out of like the little cat door that's in there. And she almost makes it out. But then Ghostface brings up the garage door and then it decapitates her. So that is... That's a kill. When I watched this the first time with Rachel, I was like, there's no way. Like, that's not realistic. And then she said, oh, no, they tested it. And I'm like, well, I guess with 90s technology, like, if they didn't have the safety things that they have now, like, well, it makes sense. But I was like, that's a creative way to do it. Like, I never saw that being a thing. Yeah, literally Ghostface, he just looks at Tatum's like half hanging body through the each side of the garage door and he's just like shrug I I'm out now like I did what I needed to do so after we see Tatum's gruesome death we cut to Stu like letting people out because of the curfew and this where Billy shows up and they kind of like give each other a look which they give each other looks often but it was kind of like a side eye thing that nobody else really saw And then he kind of jokes about like, oh, well, if you need to talk alone, you can. Yeah, because Sydney's standing there with Stu. Billy's like, no, no, that's okay. And Sydney's like, no, really, like, let's go upstairs. Like, let's talk. They talked a little bit. And like, so finally, she's like, you know what? I believe you. I want to do this. And he's like, are you sure? Like, he, he does double check, like. Are you sure? Are you really sure? And I was like, that's nice. And so they have sex for the first time. The one thing that I did like about the ending of this movie is like throughout it, they're like talking about things that like, oh, you shouldn't do this in horror movies at the same time as someone else is like doing that exact same thing. So while Sydney and Billy are upstairs downstairs everybody's still kind of like watching the horror movies and randy obviously being the horror expert is talking about like all the ways the rules that you cannot break in order to survive a horror movie yeah everyone looks at him like he's crazy yeah (laughs) and he basically is like only virgins can survive the killer which is funny because like in horror movies you know the women who are promiscuous so to say so to speak are always the ones who usually die first and it yep. normally it is the virgins and that's just part of like the horror movie tropes of good girls live bad girls die horrible deaths so he basically says there's three rules to surviving a horror movie number one sex equals death if you have sex you die number two no alcohol or drugs and everybody's like ooh. Yeah, because they're all, like, drinking and, like, holding up their drinks. And then number three is don't say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. And then Stu's like, I'm going to get some beer. I'll be right back. And everybody's like, Yeah, and then Randy's like, he's like, you mess with the rules, you end up dead. I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. So, again, (laughs) Randy is right the whole time. It's nice to be right, but sometimes you really don't want to be right. I feel like that often. I was like, I didn't want to be right, but here we are. So it is what it is. It is a burden 
we're Being both right all the time signs. is definitely a burden. Katrina is a Capricorn and I'm a Virgo. So we are often right. And sometimes it's it's such a pain. Like, it's exhausting being right all the time. Like, do you know how much energy that takes from me? It's, it's hard. It's not easy being squeezy. <laughs> the next thing we get to is Dewey gets a call that mm. there is a car up on Stumacher's property. So he's going to go check it out. And then he takes Gail. And she's been back in her news van. And then her cameraman, Kenny, figures out that there's a 30-second delay between the camera that she posted to watch all of the kids to what's actually being fed to them live. But they get that call. Gail and Dewey are going to go find this car. But while they're on the trip, because it's a very long driveway that they're going through, the kids inside get a call that Principal Hembry was found dead and he's strung up, gutted on the little football field goalpost. So that gets rid of a ton more kids because they're gross teenagers and as Henry would say desensitized little shits so they want to go see what Principal Henry looks like before they go cut him down so that's terrible but it just leaves kind of the final four kids in Stu's house while Gail and Dewey are going to look at this car so they find it after a little bit of flirting and then they realize it's Neil Prescott's car. So the movie is hitting hard. It's Neil Prescott. We are solving this mystery. Sydney's dad is killing everybody. Well, did he kill his wife and get away with it too? And he's been living with his daughter this entire time. There's so many different avenues that he could go. So after they find the car, Gail and Dewey are like, oh, we have to get back to the house because they think that he's at the house, obviously. And then after Sydney and Billy, you know have had sex. Um, she starts asking him questions about when he was in jail. Like, uh, like you get one phone call, don't you? Like, who did you call? And he says that he called his dad, but he, she points out, no, the cops called your dad. I was there. And so he's like, Oh, you don't believe me now? Like, so now he's trying to guess like her, like being like, Oh, so why don't you believe me now? But during this conversation, Ghostface comes in and stabs Billy and chases Sydney. And so now you're like, well, fuck. She just accused her boyfriend again, and now he died. Like, that's traumatizing, definitely. So Sydney's running through the house trying to evade Ghostface. She ends up barricading herself in the attic, and there's no lock on the door, so she has to get out. She ends up falling out of a window and then falls on the boat that they have in their driveway i guess rich people just have boats in their driveway that's that's not my tax bracket so i don't know but when she falls off of it and kind of picks herself up she looks up and she sees tatum's dead body in the garage so she knows that bad stuff is going on like she is really freaked out her boyfriend just died her best friend is dead she's running around on the property she meets up with kenny at the news van and he's trying to help her but he ends up getting killed by Ghostface. She escapes the van. She gets into Dewey's cop car. She calls for more help. Ghostface is there and ends up kind of chasing her back towards the house. And then she's between Stu and Randy, who both are randomly outside. We have no idea why. And this is really beautiful because they're both trying to say, like, he did it. He did it. He killed Tatum. He killed everybody. They're throwing blame at each other. 
And Sydney is very smart. And she's just like, fuck you both. And then shuts the door. She's got Dewey's gun. Because, oh, Dewey got stabbed. You, you lost your mind. I did. Because I was, I love Dewey so much in this movie. And I was so mad. Because I'm like, Dewey's probably still a virgin. So he shouldn't have even, (laughs) he should be safe. There are so many different things happening at the same time during like this last these last couple scenes that they kind of blend together. So it's one of those things where like we're following Sydney, but at the same time, you know, Randy got hurt at some point and Stu looks like he's freaking out because he saw something. And then we have Dale and Gooey. Gooey, that's their couple name. Ah, it's a good couple name. Gooey, because they're both kind of soft for each other. It's gooey. From now on, they are gooey. So, like, they're heading back to the house. There's a lot of things happening at the same time. And it's just all kind of crazy. But, yeah, Dewey gets stabbed. And so Sydney shuts the door on Stu and Randy's face and is like, fuck you both. I'm not taking any chances. Billy, from the top of the stairs, starts, like, hobbling out basically and so obviously she's very concerned for him because she thought he was dead opens says give me the gun give me the gun blah 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 and she does and then he opens the door he lets randy in and then randy's losing his mind like Stu's the killer he's done it he's gone mad and then we get one of the most beautiful scenes in cinema history billy just kind of looks over his shoulder and he says We all go a little mad sometimes. And then he shoots Randy in the chest. So popcorn's fine. Everyone's going nuts. It really was Billy the whole time. (laughs) He shot Randy and Sydney's freaking out. She doesn't know what's going on. She can't really process it. But while all of that's going on, Billy, he just like rubs the gun on his temple. Like he's like scratching his, his forehead and he's like Anthony Perkins psycho. Like he's starting to quote horror movies now. So Sydney tries to run away. And who does she run into? She runs straight into Stu and is like, you know, obviously like, oh my God, Stu, help me, help me. And then we find out Stu is also Ghostface and is partnered with Billy. And I'm just like, are you freaking yeah. hitting me right now? Like, it makes so much sense, though. Like, how are they so fast? How do they, like, how is he calling from jail? There's always the partner. Yeah, you got to have a partner. But it's this great thing. So they've kind of backed her into the kitchen. And she's just talking about why. And the boys are going nuts. Like, they're hyped. Like, they're vibing off of each other's energy. They're so excited that their plan is going to come up. And they're saying that they're going to frame her dad that it's gonna look like they were left for dead and they've made their own movie and that they framed cotton weary for maureen's murder and sydney's just talking about why and then billy starts going crazy and he says it's a lot scarier when there's no motive but then he gets really close to sydney and he's talking about uh he says your slut mother was fucking my father and she's the reason my mom abandoned me. And this comes as a complete shock to Sydney. Like just the look in her eyes. She's like, what is going on? What happened? So as close as they might have looked in the beginning, there are probably some things that they did not talk about. Mm-hmm. 
that part right there is kind of like when he makes that metaphor to your mother died and mine left me, that's the same thing. That's just proving his, like, how delirious he is. You know, he's doing all this stuff. He's quoting horror movies. He's saying, your mom being murdered is the same as mine leaving. Like, this dude... When he was the one who murdered her in the first place. Right. And it's like, this dude is a straight-up sociopath or something. Well, I don't know. I don't know what he is, but I'm sure he has plenty of issues. The boys are talking about how much they're making a movie and what it's going to look like and how they're going to make it look realistic. So the boys are stabbing each other. They're going crazy, like blood's dripping down them. They're kind of like wincing and getting crazy. And Sydney says, you sick fucks have seen one too many movies. And Billy says, no, movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And as a creative psycho, that spoke to me. I relate to that. I have not killed anybody and I wouldn't admit it even if I did, but I didn't, but I understand it. So this is where we kind of bring in the pride month of Scream is that Stu is really glomming on to Billy. He's like hanging on him. He's so excited. He's talking about how everybody dies but us and how they're all in this together and he's really excited but Billy is kind of you know in his own world like his focus is completely on Sydney but then our girl Gail pops in with the gun that they set down and the boys are like I thought she was dead and it's like she sure looked like she was dead because she Gail had tried to drive away in the minivan or the news van almost ran into Sydney who was calling for help and then she lost control of the car and then the van just like shot off into a ditch. So Gail has made her way back and then she sees that it's Billy and Stu. She's trying to, I mean, really protect Sydney, but then they knock the gun out of her hands because she couldn't get the safety off. She forgets about the safety and loses the gun and they push her out onto where, like onto Dewey outside and you're like, ugh. At least they're together now. Like, it's just, it feels hopeless kind of again. But this also gave Sydney time while they were messing with Gail for her, give her a chance to get out and move. And she steals like their voice distorter and is like, call, like called them on the home phone. And she's like fucking with them now. They did to everyone else. Oh my God. This is one of my favorite scenes because... It's Stu on the phone. Billy's running around the house trying to find Sydney. And Sydney's like, um, guess who called the police and reported your sorry motherfucking asses? And Stu says two of my favorite lines ever. But Sydney asks, you know, Billy's got a motive. What's yours? And he's just like, peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. And then Billy comes up. And takes the phone and he's like, where are you, you bitch? And he's running around because, like, he is going to murder Sydney. Like, he is losing his mind. And he throws the phone back at Stu. And this was, like, a blooper. Like, he didn't mean to, like, throw it or something happened. But the phone hits Stu, like, on the shoulder or something. And he's like, ah, you fucking hit me with the phone, dick. Like, that was was real. That wasn't, like, scripted or anything. He's just like, oh, you hit me with the phone. (laughs) 
So then Stu picks up the phone. He's like, did you really call the police? And she's like, you bet your ass I did. And Stu starts crying. He's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Which is hilarious. Because it's like, you're a serial killer, homeboy. You're worried that the police are going to get called? After all this, like, they're freaking out. They're panicking. They're trying to find her. She actually dresses as Ghostface, hides in a closet, and then pops out and stabs Billy with an umbrella that she found. Then she gets into a fight with Stu. They go into the living room. Stu falls, and, like, the TV falls on his face and, like, electrocutes and kills him. Box TVs really came in to save her right there. So she goes back. Randy is still alive. Thank goodness he's a virgin, because he didn't die. And then (laughs) Billy comes back. And Gail shoots, shoots him. She's like, I didn't forget the safety this time. Shot him. And then at one point, Sydney like sticks her finger in the hole where she stabbed him with the umbrella. And I, I just thought it was funny because like earlier he, they were like, you fingered the wrong guy. And in my head, I'm like, she fingered the right one this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, Sydney gets the gun. Randy says, like, now this is the part of the movie where the killer comes back for one final scare. And Billy starts to pop up a little bit and Sydney shoots him in the head. And she's like, not in my movie. Which I love because, I mean, she's been through enough as it is. Like, she does not need to continue her life knowing that that man is alive in jail or whatever could get out at any time. Like, just, you know, self-defense, get it over with. Don't deal with that. Oh, no spoilers, because there's a whole series about Sidney Prescott. So then we, you know, obviously the police show up in the ambulance, and then we see Dewey getting into the ambulance, and I'm like, Dewey lives! He's alive! Good thing he was a virgin. Gail never died, but as the badass that she is, she instantly was like... Got, got a new cameraman, don't know where, and started, like, doing her speech in front of the house, talking about what happened, and gets, you know, so she gets her 15 minutes, probably even longer, but she's like, I almost mur- got murdered, but I'm gonna get my story out. Yeah, so she just starts it like a whole news report. She's talking about everything. And that's how the movie ends. Gail is giving her report of the night's events. And we kind of pull off. So Sydney and Randy are the only kids that lived. Gail and Dewey are alive. I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, well, her dad lives. Oh, yeah, her dad lives. But... Yeah, they pulled him. He's not really important. He was all duct taped up and stuff, but yeah. He lived. He was not the killer. Um, He wasn't a killer. And Randy wasn't the killer. Billy was the killer, but he also had help. And I just think it's insane. Because the first time I watched it, too, I had no way to know that there were two killers. So it's nuts. So we're going to go through who we think did what kill or phone call. And we just want to know from you guys if you agree, if you disagree, like what kind of theories do you guys have? Um, But the first one is obviously Casey and Steve. So I, both Rachel and I said that Stu killed Steve. 
Um, I said that Billy was the one that was on the phone with Casey. I agree because he was doing his whole like talking about movies and references and stuff like that. And it just felt very Billy. And then who killed Casey? I put Billy, but Rachel does make a good point about it potentially being Stu because I guess they had a past. Yeah. So when they're in the fountain scene, um, Stu reveals that he dated Casey previously and Casey pulls off the mask of who's killing her. And I just think it's probably more poetic if Stu was the one to kill her when they had dated. Yeah. And I, I remember earlier in the movie, like later past that, they talk about there's always a reason to kill your girlfriend. And I'm like, no, you can just leave, bro. You don't have to kill your girlfriend. Just leave. So, and then we have the first attempt to kill Sydney. Um, I say that was Stu. Rachel said that was Stu, but who do you think was on the phone? Well, the way this is all set up, I think Billy could have been on the phone because he came in the window with the cell phone falling out of his pocket and there wouldn't have been enough time for Billy to have been the killer too because Ghostface leaves right when Billy pops in the window. So I think Stu was the one trying to kill her or at least mess with her. And then Billy was the one who came in the window. Yeah, that makes sense. And then obviously when Sydney is in, or when Billy is in jail, Stu calls Sydney. Or it could have been when he had his first call, but I doubt that he did that. He didn't have the voice disorder probably or anything like that. That would have been a red flag. For evidence at least. Um, yeah, we'll leave that up to interpretation. Yeah. And then for and princi- principal, principal Hembry. Um, I think we both said Billy because Stu was prepping for the party. Right. And he didn't get a phone call. And then mm-hmm. Billy was the one who killed Tatum because Stu is in the party. But then when Billy comes and gives that little look, it's kind of like, mm, it's done. I killed your girlfriend. Yeah. And I think Stu must have killed Kenny because Kenny, the cameraman, because Billy was still up in the bedroom and Stu somehow got outside so Stu could have been in the ghost face costume after chasing Sydney around and then following her outside. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't know how Randy got outside, but Randy somehow got outside. Well, and even at one point when uh, Randy was watching the movie and the killer was behind him and then he like, while he was watching the movie, he's like, turn around, turn around. And I'm yeah. Like, well, and he's like, turn around Jamie turn around. and the actor. The actor who plays Randy, his name is Jamie Kennedy. So turn around. Jamie is Jamie. Turn around. Yeah. So we um, think Stu killed Kenny. Yeah. And, and I, Stu probably killed Dewey. Is that what we think? Yeah, because I think Tried to Billy kill Dewey. was still... Yeah, because Billy Upstairs. was still pretending to be dead, I think. I don't know. He could have yeah. ran around, but I doubt it. Well, probably, probably not because Sydney saw Dewey coming out of the house mm-hmm. and Billy came from upstairs. So we think Stu killed a lot of people. He's a lot yeah, bigger for sure. and sloppy. So he would have done all that stuff. And Billy is smart and eloquent. So he made most of the phone calls. 
Yeah, I think he's more calculated. And he's also, because he's smarter, like him being on the phone more, like taunting and messing with people makes more sense because I feel like that's almost just as cruel, you know, to like leading up to their death. Like he's just Mm -hmm. making it worse. And that's where he gets his enjoyment from. Yeah. So I want to hear what everybody else thinks. Are you guys getting the homosexual vibes off of Billy and Stu and and their relationship and everything like that. But this is our, our first episode for Pride Month. Scream is one of my favorite movies of all time. Every single time I watch it, even though I know what's going on, I feel like you still get the enjoyment out of watching everything play out. And it gives really subtle hints to who's doing it so that's one of the reasons why i think it's the best Wes craven is a master of horror and kevin williamson this really started his career i mean like i mentioned before he went into i know what you did last summer he wrote a lot of the vampire diaries he's done a bunch of shows but i love when he plays into horror thanks guys for listening we hope that you enjoyed it tell us in the comments what your favorite pride month horror movie or just movie in general is and we look forward to hearing from you Bye, guys.